Um, we're doing this series uh, called The Next 20, but it's actually a series that I'm going to do in the fall, and I've never done this before, but I'm going to do a setup series now. And so we're going to look back, and then we're going to look forward. And so I wanted to look back a little bit, and uh, some of you might say, well, that's kind of a waste of time, Christian. We just look forward. And sure, we should, but actually looking back is healthy and helpful if it's done well. Looking back over your life, over our life, is healthy if it's done well. In fact, I would dare to say that's really the whole point of having the Bible. The scriptures are actually just a bunch of what? Looking back and seeing what did God do? How did he do it? How did God work in this person's life and that person's life? So I might have some idea of how God might work in my life. That's actually the reason that we have all of these stories. Um, a lot of ancient cultures, not just um, Jewish culture, they would, they would set up stones and they would anoint these stones. That was like a thing. And many different cultures did that. And this was found in the scriptures as well. 1 Samuel 7, verse 12 says this, Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen. Um, that's between Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, for those of you who aren't familiar. And, and, and by the way, this is why I just gave the commercial about traveling. I mean, when you go to these places and you go, oh, oh, you'll know exactly where that is. But I'm not doing that today. I don't have time. Uh, uh, he said he named it Ebenezer. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Ebenezer. Ah, you thought that was just a Christmas play. Where did that come from? He named it Ebenezer. One, two, three, Ebenezer. And it means, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Now, if you have any perspective in your life, you realize that God has helped you this far. You could set up your own stone and say, you know what? Now, this was a particular thing where they came under attack by the Philistines and the God saved them. And so they put this stone up there to say, remember this, remember this. Why do you do that? A, to remind yourself. Who here needs reminders that God's been good to them? I got, I got all day. Because <laughs> the answer is, what? All of us. We need reminders. Because we easily can forget. God's, we, we, we forget. We start immediately to take things for granted. Every morning I get Charlie up, I get the morning shift, and I take her in to mom, and I go... Say thank you to mama, right, who stayed up all night feeding you, right? And you say, well, that's silly because she doesn't know, but it doesn't matter. To me, I'm going to teach her from that infant age, be grateful for the things that you take for granted. Be grateful. So he sets up this stone, and it's a reminder. This God has helped us. In fact, when you study the scriptures, what you find out is it's exactly that. It's one celebration, one reminder after another. They have one feast. They have, they have a, a Passover. They have celebration after celebration um, to remind them. Sukkot and all of these Thanksgiving holidays and one after another. And they're all just to remind, hey, remember what God did here? Hey, remember what God did there? And um, I was telling you last week like how silly I was by trying to start a church in a predominantly Jewish community and how it got us off to an amazingly slow start. But I did have uh, a couple of 
good experiences. I, well, I had a lot of good experiences, but one of them was, I, of course, and we still have Jewish, uh, plenty of Jewish folks who are part of our family here and, of course, are always welcome. The point was that Jewish people, by and large, aren't looking for a church, right? Um, but there were Jewish families that joined back then as now, and one of them invited me over to, to a Passover meal at their house. Anybody been? Four or five of you? They do it so well. And what they're doing, they have this meal, and then you take a certain type of food, and someone reads, what does this food represent? This is bitter, and this represents the bitterness of our slavery. So everybody tastes bitterness. Why? Because, and it's brilliant, because the kids go, oh, and the parents go, that's right. That's what it was like when we were in slavery. Now take another bite, right? And they learn what? Through all of the senses. See how we learn? This morning we did, uh, uh, well, Mom and Charlie and I, we did VeggieTales. Um, David and Goliath, VeggieTales. Then we went on to Frank Sinatra. And we ended with Frankie Valley. Can't take my eyes off of you, right? And so this is, this is but they, they learn. We dance, we sing, we show. And, and kids and children and adults, truthfully, we learn through all of the senses. So many of these celebrations, many of these celebrations are connected. And they, they connect you to the senses. And they, they wanted to remind you, you were slaves and God made you free. Why is that important? It's important because it's easy to forget how good your life is. It's easy to forget how wonderful it is. Why? Because you're caught up day to day in the struggles. Anybody? How many are already, right now you're thinking about what you should be doing right now and how much time you're wasting here? Because I should be doing this, I gotta get this done, and you're thinking ahead. And so what these do, these celebrations is they take you back and they say wait a minute you could still be a slave you could still be a slave you could have the bitterness every single day and you stop and you go wow i'm so what thankful today we have uh holidays right we have holiday, next week's Mother's Day, and then we're going to look forward to Memorial Day, and we have holidays, and there are things for us to celebrate. And pretty much in America, what holiday means is a chance to... <laughs> and then, the, oh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, throw a flag up or something. But when they were created, they were, to, they were to do this, and you were to go to a cemetery, or you were to do this, and, and um, actually... We get the word holiday from holy day, right? A day that was set aside. And the, the Jewish tradition, by the way, last little slip in right here. What if Matthew was organized around the Jewish holy days? Enough said. It's a possibility. So what if, what if the importance of all of these celebrations were to create something in our hearts of gratitude. And if you don't do those, it's easy, so easy, to just forget and to think, you know, well, here's what I don't have, here's what I don't have. And all of these celebrations remind us of what we do have. Genesis 35, this is God with Jacob. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's say it together. Abraham, Isaac, and just a little learning, just a little learning for you. All right. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. One, two, three, your name will be? Where do we get Israel from? Right here. Jacob. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Why? Well, we learn that God and Jacob had sort of a wrestling match. And and in the context of that, he wrestles with God. He struggles with God. And God says, I'm going to change your name from Jacob, which means heel grabber. Can you imagine? Honey, what are we going to name the kid? I don't know, heel grabber? And then they tell the story that he was twin, so he was holding on to his brother's heel. But it's actually, it's actually, if you get it, it's a little zinger. And if you knew Jewish culture, you would know that meant deceiver. A heel grabber was a deceiver. So his name was deceiver. Not the nicest name for a kid. And God gives him a different name. And Israel means you will struggle with God. But you will overcome. Genesis 32. Your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. First of all, who here has struggled? Who here has struggled with God? You can put your hand up. I know. Oh, come on. Don't be churchy on me, please. Who struggled with God? No, the way people have presented God, the way I, I thought God was supposed to jump in and do. If you, if you haven't, you haven't had a relationship with them. Probably. Because if, if you've never struggled, then that means God's like your little choo-choo toy. You just pull around. God, do this. God, do that. You have to, you have to come to head with them. You have to want something, and then God doesn't give it to you, and then you struggle, and you go, what's going on here? If you're, if you're at all truthful about yourself, you would have to struggle. And, and I know in church it's not cool to admit, like, no, no, me and God, we've got a copacetic. We never have any problems with each other. But the reality is we do struggle. We wonder... We have questions, we have doubts, we have fears. We, why didn't, I was told this, but you didn't do that. And if you haven't struggled with God, you're out of the family tradition. This goes back to the beginning. And struggled with men. How many have had your problems with other people? <laughs> oh, boy. People, people can be a struggle. And he says, but you have overcome and here's the, here's the idea. You eventually overcome. And the name Israel is so great because it tells us that life is full of struggles. And we struggle and we wrestle. We wrestle with God. We wrestle with our understanding of God. We wrestle with people. We wrestle with life. And if someone just tells you that life is just roses and everyone's just going to get out of your way, they're fooling you. The reality is it's struggle. That's, it's, but with struggle, there's hope. You get to overcome. You overcome. You come through it. Who here can look back in your life and say, man, we've overcome some struggles? Huh? Sure. And there's many more that you will overcome. So back to this, this uh, scripture, Genesis 35. 
God says to him, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. All right? Now, actually, what it says there is, I am El Shaddai. Anybody ever heard this term before? I'm just curious. How am I doing? I'm struggling. Two of you. I have not been a good pastor. El Shaddai. One, two, three. Ready? El Shaddai. What does that mean? Actually, it doesn't mean almighty. Hate to break it to you. I'll give you a better translation. I am God of many breasts. You don't believe me. I know you don't believe me. That's okay. Will you guys believe me? Does this guy study? Does he do anything? Does he... Of course, you know that we don't want to put those kind of things in the Bible. That's actually what it means. I'm the many-breasted one. Shad, breast. Shaddai, multiple. Why? Well, read on. I am the God of many breasts. In other words, he's trying to say, I, I am the, prov- what is that? What is, what's the symbolic language? I'm the provider God, right? I, I, I got all that you need. And he says, be fruitful and increase in number. Why would, it be, why would that description of God be tied to be fruitful and increase in number? Da-da. Now it's coming together. Ready? Increase in number, and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. This is a picture for Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel, and a promise that he would overcome, and that God would be his provider. He's not short on provision. Are you with me? Some of you are going to Google that. Fine, Google it. God is not short on provisions. He has enough. He has more than enough. So what I wanted to do during this series is I want to take a little look back, and we're going to take a look forward. But I think by looking back in your life, in the life of the stories of Scripture, but in our church life, we can learn a lot. So I want to tell you a couple of stories. First thing, God has been, can I say it, El Shaddai to us? I won't say the other one because you don't believe me yet. God has been providing for us in unbelievable ways. From the very, very beginning, God's provided. When you think about your own life, God has provided in unbelievable ways. And this is so important. In the early days, we were trying to find a place to call home. We met in a, we met in a um, cafeteria, school cafeteria. I told the cafeteria stories last week. Um, there were many more to tell, but I'm out of time for that. So I was trying to find a permanent home or a semi-permanent home for our church. And so there's this uh, movie theater on Orchard Lake Road called the Old Orchard Theater. And if anybody's from that area, you know what I'm talking about. And it was vacant. It just sat there. And I thought, well, we should be there. We should be there. And so I found out who owned it, and I called him. He goes, no, not interested. And I, I said, you know, maybe it would been my opening pitch. Hi, I'm Chris Kramer. We have no money and no history and no records of money. Can we use your theater? So I changed my approach. It was Donald Trump, and uh, I'm interested in developing your pro- And I got click, click, click. That was just for fun, the Trump thing. Just relax. Click, click. He never answered the phone. And he would say, no, no, no. And he kept saying no, and he kept saying no. 
And I'm like, I said, we, we could just take month to month. We'll just take anything. No. I'm going to develop the land. No, no, no. And people kept going, why would he just take it? And I'm like, it's kind of like if you have a lot of money, you know, if you got a million dollars in the bank and someone says there's eight cents under the seat of your car with gum all over it, just dive in there. How many get it? Like, maybe the, what do they say, the juice isn't worth the squeeze? Finally, one day, I met, I met a guy who was a realtor who knew the owner of the theater. And he was trying to help me find a place for our church to meet, and nothing was working out. It was so expensive, and it was so lame. Everything was like these office buildings, and there was so much money, and it was so expensive, and it was so, ugh. And so I said, the place I really want to be, I tell this realtor, is I want to be in the Old Orchard Theater. And the guy just keeps saying, no, no, no. I mean, literally, there, there was one time I was driving down the road. I called his office. They said, no. I gave the phone to my friend who's Hispanic. I said, use your accent and ask again. And he called right back. And we, I mean, we got no, 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 no. And then one day I meet this guy, and he goes, oh, I know so-and-so. I'll leave his name out right now. And he's a friend of mine. How many know sometimes it just, it's not what you know, it's what? We were on the phone the next minute, working out a deal. And I said, look, you can kick us out 30 days notice, because I know you want to develop the land. You can kick us out 30 days notice. He goes, fine. Um, how much can you pay? I said, Not that much, actually. Now that we got to that. I said, but we'll pay. We'll be faithful. And you can kick us out whenever you want to kick us out. And so. For about the price of us renting the high school, we got to move into a theater and set up, and I didn't have to set up speakers every Sunday and tear them down, and we got to start to personalize the space, and people could come in the middle of the week, and we could have other things, and there was this big lobby there where people hung out, and it started to become home. And I would say it was an open door. Do you have this in your life? We can look back and say, wow, God opened that door for us, you know? Think about your life. Think about how did, this, how did this happen? How did this opportunity come up, you know? How did this just fall in my lap? How did, and, and you have to stop and say, you know what? God's been good to me. Now, some of you would say, yeah, but what about the closed doors? And we've had a few of those. Sure. And there's a saying. There's a saying. You know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Anybody heard this saying? I like to reverse it. When God closes a window, he opens a door because it's a little better. You can walk through a door. You don't have to squeeze. Anybody ever lock yourself out of your house? All right, there we go. A few of us. So God closes some things, but he opens up others. So we spent about two years there, and then the phone call came. And how many know this is how life is? We were 30-day notice, 30 days. So we stayed nimble. Like, don't. Don't nail anything to the walls because we're going to have to undo it in 30 days. But after you've been there for a year, how many know you start nailing things down? Is this true? Is this human nature or what? Who's done this in your life? You start to expect it. After a while, it had been home, and the he's never going to develop this thing. It's so a one month. And all along, we only on paper had a 30-month kind of rolling. And all of a sudden, the phone rings, and he goes, it's time. And I go, nah. Right. 
And, and guess what? Now we weren't just meeting on Sundays as we did in school. We had full-blown ministries. We had all kinds of things going on, one of which was our kids' camp in the summer. And it was the week. He's like, you got to be out this week. And it was the week we were having our kids' camp. Many of you know Ron Wood, uh, our head usher. His daughter, Paige, was a part of that as a little, little girl, you know. And this is, and I'm like, no, I like, we, no. <laughs> You remember how I told you, yeah, just kick us out? That was a long time ago. Now we're different. We need this place. And I told everybody to come. And so he goes, I'm sorry, you know. And so literally we had all the plans made. We had to go up to uh, one of the middle schools on Orchard Lake Road and have our kids camp. I mean, it was just, it was chaos, right? And, but here's the thing. Here's the lesson. Isn't it true? When I went in, when we went in, We'll take anything. We'll take anything. We just need a home. You kick us out anytime. And then when you've been there for a while, your attitude changes. Isn't this true of us? Who's been true in your own life? Oh, if I could just live in this neighborhood. Oh, if I could just have this house. And then when you live there for a while, this is a piece of junk. Man, what is it? What is, this? is this true? I got to upgrade. Instead of, oh, I'm so grateful. This was good. So God closes one, he opens up another. And I'm like, but we don't have anywhere to go. Which business people say, I don't care. So started scrambling and scrambling and scrambling. And got, we got to find a place. We got 30 days. We got to find a place. So a friend of a friend knew the guy that owned this building here. And uh, he's like, well, there's a place in Wald Lake. And I said, Wald what? He goes, Wald Lake. I go, where's that? It's like, oh, it's out that way. I drove out here. Um, did I mention it was ugly? And I walked through. Um, now, if I could, uh, this might be hard if you're online, but the worship center, see this little I-beam right here? And see that camera guy over there? It was where these two things are over to this wall, and where that fire extinguisher is, that was the worship center. And it was actually a tech research facility, and to make that the worship center, we had to knock a bunch of walls down and things like that. But it wasn't even ready at that time. So we went to the uh, AMC 20 in Livonia. Anybody go to movies there? Um, by the way, I should just throw this in as an aside. Sometimes you, like, you create culture intentionally, and sometimes it creates you. So we're having... We're having Gatherings at the, or the uh, what is it, the 20 in Livonia, AMC 20 in Livonia, and we get up, and we're trying to get everybody there, and then it's a movie theater, and people are starting to come in for the matinees, and I mean, people just walk in our church service with a big old thing of popcorn, just sit in the back row, like, what the heck is this, what the heck is he talking about? Stupid. It's true. All of that is true. And, and so then people were like, well, what the heck? From Orchard Grove, they're like, I'm going to get some popcorn too. And, like, and it was terrible because they had these real cushy chairs that could lay back. You know how hard it is to get people to pay attention when you're speaking anyway at church? People are asleep. They're like, oh, God, not this again. I'd see guys shaking their cups. Honey, could you? 
And uh, we were going along there, and then all of a sudden, I remember the Sunday morning that this manager came to me, and uh, again, I would get there, and uh, I would, uh, you know, try to help get, because then we're back to mobile, and we're having to set up things, but we had a bigger team, so I wasn't directly involved in the setup team anymore. I had a little more freedom, but I come help with a few things. And they had to set up a kids area in one of the small theaters. And then there's like a little little kids area up in the lobby, which we tried to rope it off so none of the kid, little toddlers toddled down the stairs, you know. And, uh, I'm, and then I would just try to sit in one of the adjacent theaters and just kind of calm my mind and reflect on my notes or the scriptures or something, you know what I'm saying? Like make a shift mentally. And I'm up there and the manager walks in and he goes, hey, um, um, we're going to have to change the times that you guys meet. I go, oh, really? He says, yeah, you know, the Harry Potter movie's coming out. <laughs> okay, so, and, and I go, oh, when's that? I'm thinking like two, three months. He goes, two weeks. <laughs> like two weeks from today? He's like, yeah, two weeks. I'm like, like, so like not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. <laughs> and he says, yeah, and then he goes, we're going to have to move you guys to like, starting at whatever time. It was, let's say it was like 9 o'clock. I go, bro, have you ever seen our church? Have you, you guys got to be out of here by 9. I mean, you have to get here at, at like 7.30. I go, they don't get here. If it starts at 9, they get here about 9.40. <laughs> have you ever seen our church, right? And I said, it's not going to work. And so I had to make, literally, I'm in the back row of this movie theater. I'm thinking, I got to make a decision like right now. And we were renting office space. My office was right over there by that exit. We were renting office space out of this building. And so I called a friend of mine who's since passed away, unfortunately, brain cancer. And he was in construction. And I go, Tony, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta make a decision like right now. Because not only do they come late, they come about every third week <laughs> at Orchard Grove. So if I make an announcement now, only half the church is gonna know. If I make the announcement next week, then maybe two thirds will know. And so I got to make a decision right now. And uh, I go, could you make a little worship center out of that industrial building? He's like, sure. How long do I have? I go, well, two weeks. <laughs> I'm sure you have nothing on your schedule. And he came up here, put his work to the side, came up here, guys jumped in. I was here. We were pulling things. We were electrocuting ourselves. We were doing all kinds of things to tear out the ceiling to make this little corner over here a worship center. And two weeks later, we moved to the beautiful and blessed Wald Lake. Yeah, that's how we got here. I was reading, a, I was doing my notes yesterday, and you know, I had the TV on in the background. I'd never seen this, this show before, and it was. It's called Strange Inheritances. I had never seen it before. And it was all about people that inherited weird things, like someone inherited letters that President Kennedy wrote to their aunt because of a strange circumstance. And, and then this one came on, and it was about a family that inherited an amusement park on the coast of Maryland. And if you know the story, I'll probably screw up a little bit, but basically the people they were interviewing were the great-great-great-grandkids of the guy who started it in the late 1800s. And he started with something very, very simple, and it had this very antique carousel. And then, of course, as time going on, they added roller coasters and all these rides, and this family amusement park had been passed down from generation to generation. 
And the people that they were interviewing now, it had spread out as the families got big. And then these family had so many shares. And this great, great, great grandson had so many shares. And, and the lawyer they interviewed said that now they're squabbling over it. And the reason they were squabbling was because now the land value far surpassed the value of the roller coasters, of the carousel, the ancient, you know, the, the old hand-carved horses and all that. And the young generation was starting to say, this isn't worth it anymore. If we sell it, we can put up condos. But there were a couple of guys in the family who had worked with their dad, who had worked with their dad, who had a tie to what this was all about. This is so important. They cared about the hand-carved horses on the carousel that was from the 1920s. And they said, we don't care how much money this place makes. We want to be true to our great, great, great grandpa's mission. Could you see how the tension would have been there? Here's the whole point. If you don't understand what it was all about when it started, it's easy to just take the money. It's easy to just do the easy thing. So what I want to do if I can, oh man, so much, so little time, is I want you to get what it's all about. Orchard Grove. And the guy, by the way, he won at the end. The guy who won, and it's still an amusement park. And he goes, my grandpa used to have the satisfaction. He'd just sit up there on this bench and watch people laugh. That's why he did it. It wasn't about the money. It was about watching people smile. That's why he built it. Why did we start Orchard Grove? We started Orchard Grove because I wanted to make a church for people that didn't like church. Pure and simple. That was it. That was the only reason that I started it. It's like, I, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And, and in one way, it's brilliant. And in one way, it's absolutely stupid. Because people that don't want church aren't looking for them. They're done with it. And the other reason that it's really stupid is that people then, if they see you're a church, they come from another church, and they expect you to be like the church they came from. And we end up disappointing everybody. <laughs> but I always tell people, if you don't know why we're here, then you don't know. Then you just want to take the money, so to speak. It was designed to be a place for people that gave up on church as they knew it. I could say so much about it, and I'm just out of time, but let me just say, it's not just that we wear jeans. And some of you dress up nicely, and I applaud you for it. But some people say, oh, you wear jeans, or he talks soft. And I've heard so many things about me, and oh boy, do I have things to say back if they were ever said to me. <laughs> but it's these soft, and this, this has nothing to do with that. I'm going to tell you something. There was an intentional shift away it wasn't just about wearing jeans or letting people eat popcorn in the back. There was an intentional shift away from a God that was painted as angry and judgmental and going to get you. Intentional. Some of you, you want to argue theology with me? Come see me on Wednesday. Love to meet you. Love to. And if that's your thing, then, then, then stay with it. If it's working for you, my God, stay with it. I can point you to churches. Most of you passed six churches to get here. I changed. I, I couldn't deal with that anymore. You say, well, Chris, then you just missed it because God really is that way. If he's that way to you, he's that way to you. But, you know, 
In 1 John chapter 4, it says, perfect love drives out all fear. All fear. Fear has to do with judgment. It's hard to love and fear at the same time. It really is. And most people that I knew were driven by fear and guilt. Fear and guilt. Now, let me be honest. What I was taught, I was taught love and fear. That's what I was taught. I was taught both. I can tell you honestly now, for me, I have zero fear of God. Absolutely zero. Personally. You say, well, you're, delu- you're delusional and you should. Fine, whatever you think. I don't have any. I don't even have any when I screw up. I just don't. I have zero. I can tell you it motivated me for a good part of my life. I had enough pastors and preachers and people telling me, you better fear, you better fear, you better fear, you better do this or else. And I wanted to be a good soldier, and I want, anybody, like, I want to be a good, I can tell you, I have none. I have no fear whatsoever. Perfect love drives out what? All, all fear. I wish I could bring Charlie up here. How much fear should Charlie have of me? How much? Well, you got to give her a little. I always joke with people about her daily spankings, you know. I mean, do we? Some of you, listen, because I already know you're, you're going to email me, but I'll give you, save you some time. Um, yes, but that's going to cause people to be had, behave badly, and they're going to, d- d- listen. I honestly, honestly, honestly think in the way my life has changed and evolved, I don't think I behave worse because of how I believe. I actually think I behave better. I really do. I actually think if you got so consumed of a God of love that the fear would fall away. And some of you go, yes, but, yeah, yeah, but this, but this, but this scripture, but this verse, but listen, listen, listen. Read the scriptures, but understand the scriptures were taking us somewhere. It's like watching a movie. You know, so many people read the Bible flat. Do you know what I mean by reading it flat? As if it were numbers on a chart and a law and go, uh, what does it say about this? And you go, oh, line four, yep, sin. It's not flat. It's a story. It goes somewhere. It's like, it's like watching Iron Man when he was a warmonger at the beginning and he was making all this money and going, that's what he's like. But didn't he change? Didn't he realize that he was making all this money and it was destroying people and he wanted to change who he was even though it was good in here? He, no? Did, you missed the movie? All right. So you don't point to the early part of the movie and go, well, it says this in movie scene four, verse seven. You go, well, that's how they thought then. People thought all kinds of crazy things back then about God. And it just the story of Scripture shows the evolution. It's an evolution that I've undertaken. I hope it's an evolution that you've undertaken. But it shows the evolution of people who believe that God wanted all this sacrifice and blood. I mean, even the prophets critiqued the others. Don't you, have you seen that in the movie? Scripture. The prophets come along and say, God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants surrender. He wants mercy. Who does Jesus quote? The rough and tumble guys, the, hard, the hardcore, well, he quotes the prophets. Matthew 9, read it. He goes, God wants mercy and forgiveness, not sacrifice and blood. 
Jesus is basically saying, go with the 2.0 version of God. Did you guys watch Tony Stark at all? Did you see it? He changed. I don't know if you saw the movie. But what happens is, if you've ever read the Bible, you have to get the trajectory. And what people do is they go, oh, let me just, I like that version of God right there when he had that little nasty spell. And I'm going to quote that to my kids so they behave. That's literally what's happened. Instead of saying, look at this story's going somewhere. And as it goes, you get to 1 John 4, and it goes, there is no, no fear in love. Well, I just thought I would tell you since you're here. Orchard Grove is passionately pursuing God in that way. And listen, still learning, still growing, still trying to understand how deep and wide and high, as Paul wrote in Ephesians, is the love of God. Ah, I'm out of time. Um, I was going to read Acts chapter 2, but I'll just tell you this. It says they came together with glad and sincere hearts. This is so important. It's from the heart. And if your heart is glad, and if your heart is sincere, then think about this. If you have a glad and if you have a sincere heart, if you follow from your heart, that's a good thing. But if you follow from fear, from threat, that's not the way to follow. And so what, what Christ did, he came to set us free from all of that. Last thing. We had almost stupid faith. I mean, I look back now. You know, people say, well, what's your plan? Do you have a business plan? Do you have a marketing strategy? They're like, ah, uh, ah. Uh, you know, I learned about this stuff later when you had to borrow money from bankers. They want all this data. Well, do you have a business plan? Do you have a strategy? How are you going to do this? And can you give me a, how many tithing members? And you're like, ah, uh, well, we tell them church is free every Sunday. <laughs> the bankers don't like that. Uh, what's the strategy? Here, ready? Build it and they will come. <laughs> and in some ways you go, man, that was almost silly. But this is the truth. We had this ri ridiculous confidence that it was going to work. What is faith other than confidence? We had this ridiculous confidence that it was going to work. And guess what? I still do.